Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. I look out here and I see that the people that I wrote this sermon for are on fall break. (laughs) And I'm so sorry, but I'll talk to you about it and maybe you can share it with them later, okay? So, it is good to be together. Looking forward to today. I would remind you, Wednesday nights, last Wednesday, we had this incredible fall party. We had so much fun. And if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I had someone say, well, I didn't see you there, Pastor Mark. And I said, well, that's because I was dressed up. Everybody thought I was Johnny Bench. (laughs) You know, (laughs) looked just like him, threw just like back in the day. It was awesome. But uh, anyway, we had a great time. But this Wednesday night, we get back together, and uh, we're going to have prayer here at the uh, front. And it is an incredible time. I can't think of anything that we do in this church that's more important than us getting together to pray together. It's changing lives. We're seeing it happen, and God is answering our prayers. And so please be here. You know, if you have, if you have loved ones that are not saved, if you have people in your church that, in the church that you're praying for, in your life, in your work, whatever, this is the time. Get together. Let's come. Let's call out their names to the Lord, and let's let Him change their lives. And I'm looking forward to doing that with you. Um, today I want to talk to you uh, again about uh, our culture. We're, we're talking about church culture. What's the culture of this church? And uh, the title is Be a Student, Be a Teacher. Be a student and a teacher. You're doing both. You're not just uh, one, but you're both. You know, we, we're being a student and we're being a teacher. I hear a lot these days, a lot of words being said about how millennials are, you know, not able to really connect. You know, you can't connect with them. They don't work very hard. They're not very industrious. They don't, uh, they're not on time. They, they lack discipline and they lack work ethic. First of all, I want to say that if you're saying those things, you should never make a general statement about any group of people. And you should never do that. Stop it right now. Secondly, I want you to know I know many millennials who are hardworking and motivated people. They work very hard and they're very motivated. Second, and thirdly, some of them work harder than some of the older folks that I know. I'm not going to say anything about that much more, but I'm just saying. And I'd also like to say that something needs to be said, and that is that our children usually become something like what we modeled and taught them to be. So if you've got a problem with your millennial child, maybe you need to look in the mirror. Just saying. And see what you're all about. And maybe that answers some of the questions for you. I don't know. But with that all being said, I want to introduce you to this next cultural value. The value is stated as be a student, be a teacher. And I want to quickly add that this applies in your spiritual life as well as to life in general. I think in all areas of life, we ought to be learning and we ought to be teaching. We ought to be passing on what we learned. And I want to remind you of what we've been doing because over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the culture of our church and our culture is made up of things we value. And so we ask the question, what do we church, we as a church specifically, not in generally, want to be? What are the specifics of things that we want to become? Another way of stating this is how do we want to live out our faith? How do we as, a, as believers want to live in the world that we live in? How's it, how do we want that to look like? 
I've used the illustration of a wagon wheel, the hub, the center of our church culture, I said, is Jesus Christ, and he's the very center of that, and everything revolves around Jesus. There's nothing else that, that it revolves around. He's all that matters. Jesus is the very center of everything. Everything points to him. Everything comes to him. He's at the center, and the church as a whole is out here on the rim of the wheel. We're kind of out here on the peripheral edge in the re- of the wheel, and, and it's connected. Everything is connected together by these spokes. And the spokes that are connecting to us uh, are, are different things. The first week I talked about the fact that it was the first spoke in our culture is that we never do life alone. You know, life is not meant to be done alone. You are not supposed to be going through life by yourself. It's not all about you. And the best way to connect and stay connected to Jesus is to do life with others, to get involved, not just to show up on church on Sunday morning and sit here with your back to everybody or looking at the back of everybody's heads, but to literally get involved, get involved with other people, find a group, get in a small group, become a part of a group. We do ministry together. This morning, there was a group of people that got up, and they got up really early, and they had bought food, and they went down to the mission, and they cooked breakfast together. We've been trying to introduce other ideas for small groups to begin to do ministry together. You should do ministry together. We simply believe Christianity is a community pursuit. It's not just an individual thing. It's not just Jesus and me. It's lived out in community. My holiness, the holiness of my, my personal holiness is not just my business because it affects you and it affects the whole church and it affects my community, this whole city that I live in. My marriage is important, not just to me and Darcy, but it's important to my sons, and it's important to this church, and I think it's important to this whole community that she and I work out our problems and our differences and stay married and love each other and work together. My thought life affects the whole church. Did you know that? If I'm having a problem with the way I think about things or if I'm looking at things I shouldn't look at, if I'm involved in those kinds, it affects you. And guess what? If you're doing the same, it affects me. It affects us all. Our faith is a community endeavor. Last week I talked about the fact that we believe less can be more. The goal of our faith is not to make you busy. (laughs) Now sometimes I think that's what churches do. They work at making everybody busy. They get busy. We're not trying to add more and more to people's life. Busyness is not a sister to holiness. Okay? Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're righteous. You know, you can be busy and sinful. It just works that way. The goal of our faith, though, is to find rest and peace and balance to live out the life of Jesus in this world. That's our goal. Jesus is at the center. Everything points to him. We want to connect to him and be like him. And and we want that balance in our lives so that it can show to the rest of the world how to live out that life. And I talked about Jesus finding time. He found time for a Sabbath. Every day he would get up early and he would go out to be with the Father. And he wasn't out there just to read his devotional book and say, well, I got that done, put that away, now I can go on with my life. But he connected with the Father in the quiet of the morning. He listened, he heard, he, he, he sensed God in the presence of, of all that was created around him. And it was there that he rested and renewed and set aside cares and concerns and prepared himself to deal with everything that would come his way. And man, does everything come Jesus' way. When you begin to read, when you begin to read the the Bible, you see so much that was coming his way. Jesus said simply, I can do nothing unless I see the Father doing it. So Jesus had to take time to go find the Father and listen to him and hear what he was doing and watch what he was doing so that he would know 
and understand what he was supposed to be doing. And I think that's a good example for us. We need to do that. How are we going to know what Jesus wants us to do unless we take the time to hear him tell us and to see him do it and to understand it? So in our culture, I said, we don't need to add and add. We want to help you find the peace and quiet you need to hear the Father. So with that in mind, part of our job as a church is not to add in more things, but sometimes it's to add something, but when we do, it's to subtract something as well so that everything comes together the way it should. We don't want to keep adding and adding and burdening people down. That just isn't the way it's supposed to be. This week, the spoke or the thing that will help connect us to the hub Jesus is this, be a student, be a teacher. In Matthew 28, if you have your Bibles, verses 18 through 20, it'll be up on the board as well. Jesus' last word to the disciples, you know these words very well, you've read them. I've read them to you a thousand times probably in the last 23 years. But it says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What Jesus was telling the 11 in this verse was their purpose, their job while they're here on earth. And he said, your job while you're here on earth is one, go make disciples. And it's as simple as that. He did not say go build a big church. He did not say go accumulate a group of thousands of people so that you can, uh, you know, be, be somebody. He, he didn't say go build big church buildings. He didn't even say go and get people to repent so they can go to heaven. We're mistaken on that one. When, when we walk around just trying to get everybody to repent, like somehow that will take care of everything. It doesn't. Jesus clearly said go make disciples and then he added on to that and teach them to obey so here is our deal we at Muncie First Church of the Nazarene want to be a disciple making church that's our goal to become a disciple making church that's one of the spokes that makes up our culture that is our culture disciple making but the question then would be what is a disciple what are we talking about because you need to know what we're doing if we're going to do it a disciple is a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> when Peter and Andrew and James and John were called, they laid down their fishing career, they set their boats aside, they put the nets in the boat, and they walked away and they followed Jesus. Following Jesus is much more than just learning about Jesus. I know a lot of people who know a lot of things about the Bible, they know a lot of things about Jesus that have no clue what it means to be a disciple. They're not obedient they're not following Jesus. They're just knowing about him. I know about a lot of people, but I don't follow them. Knowing about somebody does not make me a follower of Jesus. They learned about him, but they begin to live like him. They copy what they saw in Jesus. He prayed, so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he did. He healed the sick, so they said, Lord, show us what you do. How can we get involved in that? We want to be a part of that. And so he gave them power to do the same. The 12 disciples devoted their entire lives to following Jesus. They were, there were other followers who followed Jesus. When he would uh, break bread and made people eat 5,000, when he fed the 5,000 and things like that, people went, wow, that's exciting. Guy gives out free food, and they followed the crowd. But when things got difficult, they ran, but not the 12. The 12 stayed. They were involved right from the very beginning and all the way to the very end. And that's what we're looking to do even now. 
We need to set aside the world. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. We need to set aside the world. We need to focus to worship Jesus, to get our focus on the right things, to get to that center of who we are. That's our culture, Jesus at the center. We need to focus to worship Jesus. We need to watch and to see how Jesus lived. That's one of the things that we need, need to begin to do is to learn what that means. How did Jesus live? And we need to live like he lived. And then we need to become a servant because Jesus served. We need to go out and we need to begin to tell others about what Jesus has done for us personally. I was so blessed yesterday. Uh, we did uh, Rex Williams' mother's funeral yesterday. And Liz was a, a about 70 pounds of fire. That's all you can describe her as. She was an amazing lady. She died at about 90, 91 years old. I don't know exactly. But she, right up to the end, was still telling people about Jesus. I want to tell you something that she, it was said about her yesterday. They said, she's in the hospital, okay, and it's in their last days. She's within a couple weeks of where she's going to heaven. And she said to her daughter-in-law who's sitting there with her, do you think it'd be okay if I tell these young ladies about my story? They were coming in. They were student nurses. And she said, well, yeah, absolutely. And so Liz did. She said, ladies, could I tell you about my story? And they said, sure. And so she sat down, and so the next 20 or 30 minutes, she told them her story. Tears flowing down their face. They left that room changed. Well, next was the physical therapist. She walked in. Liz said, I can't tell you my story. And the lady said, well, sure. And she began to tell her story. And before it was over, the lady in tears, her life has changed. She was telling people her story right at the very end. i got to tell you something that's important for you to understand here. See, I can preach to you the Bible. I can tell you to read the Bible. I can sit and explain my theology. I can pound the pulpit and yell and scream and stand upside down and do it. And you're going to go, whatever. But when I tell you what Jesus has actually done in my life and how he has changed me and made me new and I'm not the same person anymore, when I begin to do that, it changes everything. That's how you do it. You aren't supposed to go out there and beat people up and whack them over the head and say, the Bible says. That's the reason Christianity's got a bad name. What you need to do is go out and say, here's what Jesus has done in my life. Now, you need to be scriptural. You've got to have all those things too. But let's go out and tell people what Jesus has done. And here's the deal. If he hasn't done anything in your life yet... Then ask him to do it so you'll have a story, okay? It's a lot more than, yeah, I went to church when I was a kid and I gave my heart to Jesus when I was four and I guess it's made a difference. That's not going to change anybody's life. But when you tell them, I was struggling with depression, or when you tell them, I was really caught up in things that I shouldn't have been and I was losing my marriage, but God put it back together, man, they're ready to listen. They'll hear you because guess what? They're dealing with the same problems that you're dealing with. So part of being a disciple is staying at the feet of Jesus and learning and soaking in all it means to follow him. Be a student. Soak it in. Nothing worse than people who think they've arised, arrived as a disciple or as a Christian. When I go around people who walk around with that superior attitude and they got a Bible bigger than them and they're walking around like I got this thing memorized and I know everything, I, I just go, you know, go away. I don't, I'm not interested. I love it when an older person especially comes to me and says, I was studying the Bible and God spoke to me and I learned something new. I was at a great, I was at a great uh, uh, event this week. It was prime time at Olivet and uh, Collinsworth sang and Dr. Deal preached. And as of you know, remember, Dr. Deal was here. He's the one who dedicated our gym back all those years ago, 20 years ago. And Dr. Deal is like 83 years old now. Okay, and Dr. Deal's still preaching every day. I mean, he's an amazing man. I love that guy. He's one of my favorite people in the world. But you know what he said? He said, I was reading my Bible the other day, and I found some verses I didn't know existed. The man's still learning. 
And I don't know anybody that's more godly than him. But he's still learning. He's letting God teach him. And I was so blessed by that. He's a student. He's still learning. He's still growing. To say we've arrived as Christians, to say that I already know everything there is to know, that's hypocrisy at its worst. It really is. If we're not learning daily from Jesus, then i got to tell you something. We are not disciples. We must become a disciple to be involved in making disciples. If you're going to be a disciple, if you want to make disciples, you've got to be a disciple. I believe one of the reasons people are leaving the church in numbers at times these days is because too much of the instruction and the disciple-making attempts are made by people who are not spiritually alive. They don't know what they're talking about. They have no idea. They're not disciples. Can you imagine if your father never worked a day in his life? He sat at home and, and, and just did whatever he wanted and collect welfare all day long. And now as he gets older, he tries to tell you, it's time for you to go out and get a job. How would you think about that? What would you feel? I mean, if that would be like the most hypocritical thing in the world, if my dad had never worked a day in his life and then told me I needed to get a job, I'd be like, well, what do you know about it? You sat here all the time. And that's what we're doing. We, we are not disciples, but we want to tell everybody else how to be disciples. We're hypocrites when we do that. If you're going to instruct your son not to lie, then you better not lie. If you're going to try and lead someone to Jesus, you better know Jesus. Part of our first church culture will be to in, be involved in making Jesus disciples. And our job here is not to get people to attend church. And I want to make this really clear. It's not to entertain people. I mean, we love it when you attend, don't get me wrong, and I hope we'll have more and more people attending and it'll grow and continue to grow. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying we don't want people here, but it's not our goal to just bring people to attend. It's not our goal to entertain people. It's not our goal to keep people busy. Our church culture is, so, is to be so about Jesus and doing what Jesus commanded us to do that that is what takes over and matters. So what do we mean when we say make disciples? Or even what do we mean when we say a disciple of Jesus? Number one, we're talking about helping people come to life to love Christ more than anything or anyone else. He needs to be it. You know? And, and I know right now, a lot of you are probably glazing over and going, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know if I can handle this. You know, he, 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 he's, he's kind of crazy up there. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 26, and here, let me read it for you. Large crowds were traveling, Jesus turning to them, and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How many of you have ever read that before? You ever read that? Well, yeah. Were you a little bit shocked when you read that? You're supposed to hate your mother and your father and your, all that stuff. See, what he's telling them here is not turn away and hate your family. He's not saying that. That's not what he means here. But he's telling us that our love for him must be greater than our love for our family. And I know that's hard because we love our families. Anybody here love your family a little bit? There's a few of you. The rest of you, I feel sorry for you. You don't love your family. That's okay. <laughs> Anybody else here awake? Anybody awake here today? Anybody want to raise your hand and say, I am awake today? Okay. You know, this is important stuff. And I, I'm serious about this. You know, we... we we make our families our gods if we're not careful. And I love my family. I got two boys that I just think are the greatest. They got wives and we got children. I don't know, maybe on Facebook some of you saw Ellie this week. She's awesome. She's incredible. You know, Darcy and I love those kids, man. They're wonderful. You know, Darcy's so 
uh, a great mom to the boys, and she's been a great grandmother, not, not a great grandmother, she's a great grandmother <laughs> to those beautiful grandkids, you know, and we love them, and, and, and I love Darcy, I mean, it's so important to me, but I got to tell you the truth, you know, Jesus is first, he's got to be first, as much as I think of them, he's got to be first, He's not telling us to turn away from our families, but he's telling us that, they ha- that, that he has to be first. And Jesus must, also be, must always be first in a true disciple's life. He, Jesus is more important than family gatherings. Now, that's not saying going to church is more important than family gatherings. I'm not saying that. See, some of you are getting this all mixed up. You're equating church and Jesus, and it's not the same thing. But Jesus is far more important than family gatherings. You know, we lived in Kansas City to train to be pastor of church for five years and we missed all kinds of family gatherings and we had to do that because that's what Jesus had called us to do. In a disciple's life, if Jesus says go and leave family behind, then you go. A lot of people don't understand that, but Todd and Nikki Owens are a great example of that. They felt God say, you have to go. This is what I have for you. I'm more important than your mom and dad and all the comforts. And so they set it aside, and they went to Kenya. Denial, number two, denial ourself. Our job is to help people learn how to put self on the shelf. Luke 9, 23 through 24, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. The greatest barrier we have to being true disciples is our preoccupation with ourselves and our comfort. I was talking to some people about that this week, and they, they said, man, it's just such a struggle, that, that giving up comfort and actually doing the thing that I know God wants me to do. It's just like, oh, but I don't want to do it because I know it's going to take me out of my comfort zone. Jesus' mandate goes against the worldly culture. You just have to understand that. Being a Christian does not fall in line with the world. Jesus said it wouldn't. It didn't for him and it won't for us. And most of the time, we are just so preoccupied with building up our self-esteem and our feelings of self-worth. We walk around and we do that. See, we got one of the complaints against millennials is they have to have a participation trophy for everything. That's because us dummies who lived and and raised those great kids (laughs) thought, hey, you know what? we got to build up their self-esteem. Let's give them all participation trophies. Now we're going, oh, those kids didn't act like us, man. Why not? You know, we're, we're, we're lost. I mean, it's a mess. I don't know. But here's the deal. Here, here, here's the deal. Um, it's not about our self-worth and our self-esteem. See, Jesus is not against us. Our value, our worth comes from Him. It's not from winning. Because I don't always win the races that I ran in. Especially as a kid. I was a fat kid and couldn't race anybody, you know? And, and as I got thinner, I, I got a little faster, but I've never been able to win most races. Somebody's always faster. But I have value. My, my worth is because God created me and said, you're my child, and that gives me all the worth and esteem that I need. I have God esteem. I'm a valued, important, blessed child of God. And so are you. And that's our esteem. That's where it comes from, not from getting a participation trophy. 
To deny ourselves means to set our own self aside and focus on what God wants from us and wants us to do, not what others want. And when I begin to do what my Father tells me to do, I'm blessed by that and I have value by that. He, he gives value to my life. We need to hang our desires, our plans on the cross. Every one of us right now, if we're going to be the church God wants us to be, we need to take the things that we value, no matter what they are, our family, our work, our stuff, money, uh, whatever it is, and we need to hang it on the cross and say, Lord, it's yours. It's yours. And we need to do whatever and go wherever, whenever he calls us to go. The third thing is this, we're to help people learn how to forsake all that we have. Uh, it simply means I'm going to place everything I have, everything I own. It kind of goes back to the other one. It's part of that. Everything I'm a, I am under the leadership and lordship of Jesus. Let Jesus lead. He's in charge. We need to count the costs. This is an important step in this. We have no idea what the requirements might be for us as a disciple. It's different for everyone. I can't go to you and say, here's what you're going to have to do. You've got to go to Kansas City and train to be a pastor because that's not your calling, maybe. But it means different things for different people. For Paul and Peter, it meant that they would lay down their lives. They would put aside their, their trade. They would put aside what they were. Paul was a, 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 a tent maker, but he was a, uh, he was a respected businessman. He was a respected uh, religious person in the Jewish community, and he had to set that aside. For Peter, it meant putting aside a, a fishing business that, you know, probably was very lucrative. He, you know, a lot of people don't understand it, but, but Peter owned a boat and nets. That was a lot in his day, and he laid it down. See, only Jesus knows what truly lies ahead for us, and he is simply saying to all of us, count the cost. It's going to be worth the sacrifice to you. And it really is. Setting aside my sin, setting aside the pleasure of the world, setting aside the value of the society I live in, and placing my plans on hold for God's plans. The Bible says that we are to lose our life, and that's those who lose their life who will find it. And finding it doesn't also always happen exactly here. We may even finish up this world and say, I don't know if I quite understand, but in eternity we'll go, oh yeah. I get it. I get it fully. The goal of our discipleship is to restore a person to the image of God, to help them to become back in the image of God. You were created in the image of God in every way. And it's not just a physical thing, but it's an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a soul thing. It's every part of your being was created to be like God. And, and then sin came in and it twisted all of it. And the body dies and the spirit isn't the same and our emotions get all whacked out of a shape all the time it's to have the mind of christ to become mature adult christians the mind of christ is opposite of worldliness nothing stymies the growth of a believer or a church like having worldliness begin to enter into it when the church begins to be worldly when it takes on worldly values it stops when people begin to grow spiritually and then begin to take in worldly values it kills the spiritual growth in a person discipleship is not just knowing about something it's not just reading the Bible. It's not just sitting in a class soaking up knowledge. A lot of times when we think of discipleship, we have this picture of sitting in a group of people and, and learning more about the Bible and learning more about what it means to be a Christian. And it's not that at all. 
Discipleship is doing what you know. Contained within the command to go make disciples is the assumption that you will be a disciple. You can't give away or teach something you don't have. I talked about that. You can't teach others to die to self, to forsake, to count the cost unless we're living it out ourselves. So Jesus says, be a disciple and then go make disciples. And probably the best display that I can show you for that is in the Bible where Paul takes on the young Timothy. It's, it's just an incredible relationship between Paul, the apostle of Jesus, and his young friend, Timothy. And Paul writes to him in 1 Timothy, calling him, he says, my true son in the faith. That's his, it's his buddy. He's his friend. They probably laugh together and talk together. But Paul is pouring into him. He's pouring life into him. Paul's taken Timothy and John Mark and others along with him on his journeys and showing them how to live out the life of a disciple of Jesus. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul gives instructions to Timothy, and Paul teaches him things that the Holy Spirit is saying to him. And then Paul goes on to encourage Timothy, not only to know what he, Paul, is instructing him to do, but then he says, now put these lessons into practice. Do them. Don't just talk about them. I mean, they're good practice to talk about them. It's nice to sit here and have Sunday school class. It's good to sit and talk and, and share what's going on and how we think about that. And, you know, we do that, our small groups. We write questions. What do you think of this? How do you like that? What do you think? How would you do this? And it's okay to do that. that I'm not saying, no, we shouldn't do that. But what I'm saying to you is, is that that's not enough. It's not enough to talk about our Christianity. It's important that we begin to live it out. And Paul says, Put these into practice. Point these things out to the brothers. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales. Go talk to the people that are struggling like that and, and deal with it. Command and teach these things. Those are strong words. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Set an example for believers in your speech, Timothy. In life, Timothy. In love, the way you love people. It should look like Jesus loving people, Timothy. In your faith, Lord, God is, you know, that, that God looks for people who have faith. He, he, you know, we cannot please God without faith. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, don't quench your faith. Don't, don't get all suspicious. Let your faith grow. Let it grow. And he says, and in purity, Timothy, teach the people. Show them your life in purity. Live a pure life. Be diligent. Give yourself to them wholly. Don't hold back and say, well, you know, I'll, I'll give some, but I'm not going to expose myself. He, he's telling him, Timothy, rip it open and show them everything. Make sure that they know who you are. Be transparent so that they can know that you really are this person. That's what it means. Paul's instructing and guiding and teaching Timothy. He's, he's disciple-making. Timothy's his disciple now, here's the deal. Did you notice that? Timothy is a student, but he's telling Timothy, you also need to be a teacher. He's teaching as well. Timothy gets this, and he successfully becomes a disciple, and, making, and he's successfully making disciples because Paul didn't tell Timothy what to do. He lived it out in front of him. Now, when he was telling Timothy all these things, he was reminding him, here's how I live my life. Now, you do it. This is what it's about. We want and we believe that the culture of Muncie First Church should be the same as that of Paul. Older women should be teaching and coaching younger women by bringing them alongside of them and living out their discipleship. See, when you sit there and say, well, I go to church, but I've done my part. <laughs> That's dangerous grounds. 
because you were given the wisdom you were given and you were given the things that you were given to pass on to someone else. And if you take what God's blessed you with and you hoard it for yourself, that's a sin. Older men should not just be teaching and coaching younger men. They should bring them alongside them and show them by example what a disciple looks like. I can tell you something. I can't think of anything I'm going to say ever more important than what I'm talking about right now. Older women listening and being led by the Holy Spirit should teach the younger how to hear from God. You know? Some of you, you've been hearing from God for a long time, but you've never told anybody, here's how you do it. And you need to. Because a lot of younger women don't know how. Because they've never been told how. It's not that they don't want it's that they don't know how. You know what? I have a desire to know a lot of things. No one's ever shown me how to do it. A few years back, we had, I think, Louise or somebody show the younger ladies how to make noodles. They had a desire to make them. They just didn't know how to do it. You know? I mean, that's a simple one because making noodles isn't that hard. But that's how life is done. We pass on what God has given to us. Our talents, our gifts, they're not ours, they're to pass on. Older men learning and listening to the Holy Spirit, growing in their faith, should be teaching young men how to hear from God, how to live it out. They should be passing it on to younger men. These days I hear a lot of people saying, I just don't know why the younger generation is not leading in the church. And I want to tell you, I have an answer for you. It's that they believe in God. I don't believe that the younger generation are sitting there saying, I don't believe in God, because if you ask, most people in the United States still believe in God. It's just that they're not interested in the church because no one in the church has shown them how to do things. No one in the church has taken them under the wings. No one in the church has shown them how to live that life. I heard recently that only about 17% of people in the United States now attend church in a regular way. And I believe that's true. And I know that that percentage is dropping rapidly. And it's not dropping for a lack of programs. And it's not dropping for a lack of facilities. But it's because young people have never been shown by the older people how to live and how to know Jesus. We just assumed, oh, they'll get it. Yeah, read your Bible. You'll take care of everything. Oh, we've entertained them. We bought them youth pastors and children's pastors. And we said it's their job. But it's not Ian's job or Debbie's job. We never brought them alongside of us. We never taught them and introduced them to Jesus. I had a guy when I was a young man, and I was really kind of sitting on the fence about where I was headed. His name was Brank. He's a dentist over in Anderson. He's retired now. But I, I, I clearly remember he was really young, and he said, hey, come out to my house. Now, he had Jaguars. Now, I don't mean cats. He had cars, okay? And they were awesome. And I was a young guy who loved cars, and he knew that. And Brank would bring me and another couple guys, and we went out there on Saturdays, and he would let us work on his cars. Now, I am absolutely certain that the last thing he really wanted was for us teenage boys to work on his Jaguars. Probably cost him more money 
that we ever saved him by working on his cars. I will promise you that. We broke things and did things. But you know what? He fed us, and we worked on his cars, and he spent time with us, and he showed us how to live like Jesus. And it changed my life, him and some others. They poured into my life truth. I'm pretty sure Brank had better things to do on his Saturday than hang out with teenage boys. I'm absolutely positive as I get older that he had better things to do. <laughs> but he did it. And he invited us into his house, and his wife baked cookies, and we ate them all. We didn't leave any. But he taught us about Jesus. We've never brought them alongside. We've never taught them. We've never introduced these young people to Jesus. And it makes me ask the question of this. I wonder if it's because we've never really met Jesus ourselves. I wonder if we're trying to pass on by proxy, by youth pastors and children's pastors, what we should have been passing on as individuals and as believers. If we want to change the tide in the world that we live in today, if our church truly believes this, and if we really want this to become part of our culture, it's going to take each one of us getting things right with Christ. That has to start with us. This is the, this is the cream of the crop. You're here on fall break. It's like preaching to the choir here, you know? And it's going to take this group getting everything right with Christ if you really want to see the tide changed in our city. See, I believe in Muncie. I love Muncie. I, I did never want to live in Muncie. I told Darcy one time, man, you know what? I hope I never get called to Muncie. And I've lived here for 23 years. God has a sense of humor. And you know what? I've fallen in love with Muncie. I, and I mean that with all my heart. I think that there's so much hope here. I see so many good things happening. I think we can change this place. I think that we can become what God really wants it to be. It can become a place on this state where people go, how did you get the school system straightened out? How did you do that? How did... I think they can come here and get lessons and we can disciple. But it's going to take us getting things right with Christ first. We can't do it with politicians. You know, there's, th that's important, but it's not going to be what's going to change this city. We can't do it with, with all the stuff that we're trying to do. It's going to get done in the church. We've got to get it right with Christ. It's got to start right there. We have to become students and learners. And then we need to be teachers. I hear people talking about the fact that there's not any churchmen coming up the ranks. And my question is, how can they? come up the ranks. Few, if any, of the older generation of the church has ever taken a spiritual son or daughter. Few have ever discipled anyone and taught them to love Jesus. Few have ever taken the time to hear from Jesus and to follow Jesus, to love their church, to care about their church. Oh, we've taught our kids how to shop. We've taught our kids how to cheer on their favorite team, and we've taught them how to fake their faith like we do. And we've taught them how to do what they want and to blow off the commitments to the body. But we've never taken the time to tell them, let me show you how to pray through. How to hear from the Holy Spirit. How to love another person until your heart breaks and bleeds all over the place. And how to get down on your hands and knees and take the towel and go serve. We've made them disciples, but they're disciples of comfort and ease and material things. But not disciples of Jesus.
But folks, this can change. We can change this. We really can. I don't want to be negative. We can change this. Mentoring, loving another, taking a person under our wing, lead them to Jesus, to disciple them, to be a part of the culture, to be a part of who Muncie First Church is. And if we do not make this a part of our lives, each one of us, i got to tell you the truth, I believe with all my heart, and I believe this is from God. This is the last generation that will worship in the comfort and joy of this body of believers. This will be it, unless we do this. Each one of us is called to do this by Jesus himself. None of us, I don't care how old you are, none of you are too old. I don't care how young you are, none of you are too young. We cannot shirk this responsibility. This is not the responsibility of a pastor or a youth pastor or a children's pastor. It's the calling for all of us. And it begins with this, and I'm going to ask you this question. Are you in a real relationship with Jesus? I don't mean, did you ask him to forgive you of your sin and you're fine and you got your ticket punched to heaven. I'm thankful for those tickets, I guess. And the Bible does say that some will make it in as smelling like smoke because everything got burned up in the fire. But it seems to me that we ought to have more than that. We want more than that. I want more than that. My question is, are you in a real relationship with Jesus? Do you know what it means to hear from God? Have you ever heard the voice of God speaking to you? Have you given him everything? Have you surrendered your life? Have you laid it down? Have you said, yes, Lord, to everything? Are you a real disciple? Let me ask you next, who are you passing it on to right now? Can you say, I've got a disciple that I'm passing this all on to? I'm teaching, I'm training, I'm talking to them. Not just some ideas in a Sunday school class. Oh, those are fine, and I want us to have those, and we need the small groups. But I'm talking about you meeting with somebody, taking them out, being their friend, building a relationship, loving them, showing them how to be Jesus in their world, caring for them, praying for them, making sure that they understand. Are you going out caring for the sick, and then when you're doing it, taking them with you and saying, here's how you do it, here's how you love them, here's how you pray, here's how you care for them. When you tell others about Jesus, are you telling others about Jesus? And if you do, are you taking someone with you? Do you share with them about your personal encounters with Jesus? Sitting down and talking to a younger person, somebody just behind you and saying, here's how it happened for me. I mean, most of our younger people think that you were born the way you are. Are you taking the time to really see what Jesus does and then doing that? Are you making disciples? I know it's a lot, and it's pretty heavy, and I'm sorry about being heavy. I don't like being heavy, but I really am burdened for this because I don't believe our church can go on if we don't do it. So important. And it's not just Debbie over here, over here doing her thing, or Ian doing his thing on a Wednesday night. It's just not. We all got to get involved. We all got to do it. Father, right now, I'm praying for you to come right now, your Holy Spirit to speak. Lord, I'm praying for you. Lord, you've, you've laid this on my heart. And if you laid it on my heart, it's for a reason. And I tried my best to pass it on, Father. And I don't know if I did it right or not. But Lord, if there's anyone in here who, right now, Jesus, that you are laying this on and then putting it in their heart, I pray that they'll say yes to you that they'll say, yeah, 
I want to do that. I've got to do that. That's the right thing. I'm not sure how it all works, Lord, but I know this is what you want. So, Lord, we just commit this whole thing, this church, every part of it into your hands and into your life right now. Do with us, in us, through us, whatever you choose. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's stand together. Altars are open if anybody wants to pray right now. If you don't, that's okay, but the altars are open. We always stop with that and leave a place for you to pray. I believe God's speaking to some hearts, though. And if you want to talk later about it, if you want to ask me questions, uh, I'm here. I'll be here. So let's sing together. My, my prayer to you today is, is that this message will not return void, that you will take it and use the words to, to bring hearts into alignment with what you want, and that you will do in us and through us and use us for the cause of Christ, whatever you choose to do. Lord, help us to be ready. We've counted up the costs. 
And you are worthy. I believe that, Lord, with all my heart today. So thank you, Lord. We give you praise for this day. And as we leave this place, may your spirit go with us. May you be in us. May you use us, Lord. May we change the world through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless.